Welcome, welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. This is your co-host Jay Chima with the pride and joy of Merrimack, New Hampshire, the Puma. Welcome in Puma, Podcast 112. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. I mean, if you want to talk about a wild weekend of football, like everyone was complaining about Super Wild Card Weekend. We, we got a treat for uh, the divisional round, and we're going to get to that. But, but Jay, I, I know this is a football podcast, but I, I need you to humor me real quick. Puma, it's, it's not a football podcast. It's a come to the podcast and talk about whatever we want. We want to get our feelings out, and I know you're wound up. I, Puma, I've known you for a while now, okay? I, I understand your wife knows you the best, but I have a fairly, gra- a fairly good understanding of when you're worked up, and I can just tell Puma. You want to get some stuff off your chest, is that correct? I got I got something to say, man. And you know, like you said, you, you know, you, you've known me for a while. You're my boy. We're you know best friends, brothers, and you know how much I love baseball, right? Well, at least well, up well, until well, this year. Well, exactly. I was gonna say up until this year because you was not on that uh, baseball bandwagon this year. Yep. Nope. Nope. After the whole, I like, think MLB... I watched. Well, I think I watched more playoff games than you this year. Truthfully. Oh, you did. You did. That's a fact because the only games I watched were the uh, All Star Game, the Home Run Derby, and Opening Day, which was you know the same day that I got married on April first, but. You know, this year with baseball, like, I, you know, I got turned off by, you know, Joker Rob Manfred and his spider tack, the sticky substance policy. Like, they were devoting so much energy towards that and not promoting the young talent of Major League Baseball, which, you know, in my opinion, I think is falling behind, like, you know, the big three of American sports of hockey, basketball, and football. And it's even, in my opinion, I think it's fallen behind, you know, soccer, like even Major League Soccer, because just all the strife that's going on with baseball. And today, like the the straw that broke the camel's back for me, man, was uh, it today was the Hall of Fame voting day. Okay, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know, David Ortiz, you know, legendary designated hitter for the Boston Red Sox, three time World Champion was, you know, really the the pillar of the city of Boston when the marathon bombings happened. He had that famous quote, this is our effing city. You know, the rest is history. We all know David Ortiz's accolades. But it was also the last year on the ballot for Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling, you know, yada, yada, yada. I can go down the whole list. But the main ones I'm going to focus on are Barry Bonds and, and Roger Clemens. All these guys played in the steroid era, okay? So for argument's sake, let's call the steroid era from like 1995 to like 2000, I don't know, like 2008, whenever the Mitchell report came out. David Ortiz tested positive for steroids. He was the only one that voted, got voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame today. But you have the home run king and Barry Bonds that's not in there. Arguably one of the bit, the the greatest pitchers in, in baseball history, and Roger Clemens, they don't get the Hall of Fame vote because they tested positive. Well, actually, they didn't even test positive. They were uh, listed in the Mitchell report. There's always been rumors about steroid use, and you know Barry Bonds, he he came out as being part of the Balco scandal uh, with with drug testing and whatnot. But the fact that you have reporters and writers voting on David Ortiz being a first ballot Hall of Famer 
when he tested positive. But those two guys in their last year of eligibility were not voted in the Hall of Fame. It's just comical to me. It's a farce. It's it's a waste of everybody's time. Uh, you know, all these writers, these sanctimonious idiots. Like I, I can't, Jay, I can't do it anymore, man. Like I want nothing to do with baseball. And that's and that's a sad state of affairs. Like they're they're about to they're in the middle of a lockout right now. And I honestly don't think they're gonna get at like half a season in just because of the, the the acrimony between ownership and the players union. And if they don't play a game this year, no sweat off my back, dude. I want nothing to do with it. Like if like I, I just I can't. I'm not the biggest Barry Bonds fan, Jay, but he definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Roger Clemens deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Just have a separate wing and just put the steroid call it the steroid era. But you you can't write the story of baseball without Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. Yeah, Puma, I I mean, listen, I'm not a baseball fan, but I think I kind of see your point. The question I have is, and please, you know, excuse my baseball ignorance because I don't follow the sport like you do. So why is that David Ortiz is allowed to get in, even though he's been connected to steroid use, but the other folks aren't? Is this simply like a popularity contest? Yeah. Is it something where like these writers hold grudges? Like what's what's the thought process? Exactly. Exactly. That's it. That's it. And, you know, you want to get this to like NFL, you know, parallels. This is what happened to Terrell Owens. Like we can all agree T.O. was a first ballot Hall of Famer for football. But because he was a bit of an a-hole to a couple of writers, specifically out in Philadelphia, in, in San Francisco, he uh, he was put in the doghouse and he had to wait three years. David Ortiz, was he like a bit ornery with with reporters from time to time? Yeah. But again, if you look at the optics, the Boston Strong stuff and the 86 years of, you know, they broke the curse of the Bambino. He had the big old smile. Everything was big poppy and everybody was happy and, and whatnot. Yeah, that's why he said, because, you know, Roger Clemens was the monument like you can make a monument of how much of an a-hole that dude was to the press both in boston and in new york uh houston he started to come around he wasn't that big of a a, a d-bag but you know barry boss throughout his entire career even going back to like the pittsburgh pirate days especially his last year as a pirate when uh you know they lost to the the atlanta braves uh in the national league championship series um yeah that was there was some very hard feelings between between Barry Bonds and the press, especially with the Balco scandal stuff and and whatnot. So yeah, it's all because you know you have people like Dan O'Shaughnessy, and I know you have you know there's no love lost between you and, o- and O'Shaughnessy. He's a but, loser. But like you know, you got people like O'Shaughnessy and 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 whatnot getting in their feelings about things. And there was this one reporter, Jay. I'm forgetting his name. He was on MLB Network today, and he did the opposite. He didn't vote for David Ortiz because there was a, you know an air quote gray area with this test results which long story short Ortiz did test positive for steroids but Bud Selig at the time God rest uh and in Major League Baseball upper management they were trying to essentially cover it up by saying like oh we're not too sure about these test results when everyone knows it's BS he was listed in the Mitchell report um they were trying to cover it up to save you know the big face of baseball 
Uh, but that same guy who left David Ortiz off voted for Sammy Sosa, Dar- Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens. So it's like, like what gray area? Like you have three documented steroid users, and then a fourth one that you didn't vote for. I, like it's just a joke, dude. And I went to Cooperstown, and I loved it going up there. But again, man, I have I have no desire to watch baseball. And I think you know this might be the the death rattle. Like they're in a they're in a lockout, and it's gonna be. There's going to be a lot of hard feelings between what the union wants and what ownership wants. And I think it might be like the 94 strike again. And, you know, if people want to go back in history, the 94 strike basically led to the steroid era because you had the home run chase between McGuire and Sosa that saved baseball. Like you go to any reporter out there and say, hey, what was the big, you know, saving grace of baseball coming out of the strike? And they will all tell you it was the the home run chase between McGuire and Sosa. And anyone else that tells you it wasn't that is a liar. Well, Puma, I've, I've always uh, thought about this and maybe this is the first time I'm like kind of, you know, articulating it to you, but like, you know, how, and I don't want to put you on the spot here. Maybe you haven't given this thought, but like, how do you even fix this issue? Right? Because like, it seems like a lot of this comes down to personal feelings, personal feelings of how a writer feels about a, about a player determines if that player gets in or not. And I feel like that is so wrong. Like, that does, that shouldn't matter what a writer feels in the grand scheme of things with a player getting into a Hall of Fame, whether it's NFL, NBA, you know, Major League Baseball seems to be absolutely worse at it. So why, why haven't some of these leagues, and maybe this is something the MLB can kind of look at going forward, why haven't they made, like, a committee? Like, you know, obviously a certain group of people, they vote in on a yearly basis that have a certain set of criteria where they sit down and say, all right, well, you know, this is a criteria mandated by the MLB, you know, organization that every year we must follow this and come up with X amount of players, X amount of players that we can stick on a ballot. And then that's being sent around to either, you know, the committee itself. They could do it in a way where the committee itself votes on half of it the other half could be made up by like current players and managers mm-hmm. i mean people that actually know the game right so why right. why i mean is this maybe a, a a watershed moment where maybe the mlb mlb can step in and obviously you know be one of the revolutionary leagues that comes up with a solution for these issues or i mean uh, do it they could even be. care about that like i mean do they even care about that because the one thing i feel about mlb is like i feel like they don't care about fans i know they don't the mlb mlb like you know network and the, the game and all that stuff they care about like what's true and what's the written rules of baseball like you know baseball to its core the way it was invented back in 1920s the rest of it if you can't get on board with it, then go screw yourself Yep, exactly. And Jay, they, they could. They could be that that sports league that says, all right, you know what, we're going to – because the, the Baseball Hall of Fame, they you know, the next step for these players like Bonds and Clemens that they were – this was their last year of eligibility and they, they're not going to be on the ballot anymore. I think they have to wait another five to ten years and then like the, there's like subcommittees in the hall. And, like, you'll have, like, the early era Baseball Hall of Fame voters, which I, I think are just, like, the, you know, old-timer writers. But they have to look at a certain criteria of years. So, like, you're going way back to, like, back when, you know, the, the Jackie Robinson didn't break the color barrier. So you have, like, regular baseball. And then, you, you know, you had the Negro Leagues. So they'll look at those uh, pool players and, and see who do they think should be eligible to be, you know, go into the Hall of Fame. Then there's like another subcommittee that's like the Golden Era. Now you're talking about like the 50s to like maybe mid 70s, like 1975. And then you have the Veterans Committee, which is like the best of the rest. 
they're going to have to wait their turn to get to the Veterans Committee. And honestly, Jade, that might be like 20 years from now before they even get to the Veterans Committee. When in my opinion, you scrap the National Baseball Writers Association of America. That's the pool of reporters and writers that vote for these guys every year. You get rid of that. You just make it the Veterans Committee. And and you go from there. Like out of half out of that list, maybe you do like half is you know half the the writers can vote on. And here's this pool of people that the veterans committee can do. Honestly, I think it should just be veterans committee for all sports leagues. Like people in the hall should vote on people that should be going in the hall of fame. But I I don't know if there's like money involved for being a, an, an NB you know double A kind of deal, like the National Baseball Writers Association. I don't know if there's like money that's involved for these writers that do it. Um, you know, they, they probably don't want to take food out of people's mouths. But Jay, like like you said, baseball doesn't care, dude. Like they're all about like, here's the written rules. Here's the unwritten rules. Like we're, we're, we get more bent out of shame about Fernando Tatis hitting a, a grand slam up nine, nothing because the, the pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks left the ball right down the middle. You know what I'm saying? It's just... It's so stupid and it's so asinine. And this is why baseball is such a dying sport and not just the United, like North America, dude. Like there's, there's, it's just a joke and it's sad because I'm such, I'm such a baseball fan at my core. Like I tried to get you to watch baseball when we first started, you know, working together. And I'll never forget the day you're like, I just want to go to Fenway Park to like take a couple of pictures like of the first inning and then we can go to like you know the restaurant down the street and just like hang out and it's like dude if i'm spending like 80 dollars to go to fenway i'm getting all of my money's worth and my peanuts like that's that's it do it for the gram do it for the gram do it no. for the gram no listen man like and i you know i i saw this topic come up today on sports radio i was listening to to boston radio and this came up you know in the second hour of uh and the mass show and they're talking about it and, you know, I was thinking to myself on the drive, I can, you know, obviously football is my favorite sport. I'll watch Ohio State football, Patriots, NFL, all that stuff all day, every day. And I can, like, you know, pick out key moments. But sports that I don't, you know, I don't, you know, mess with that much, whether it's the NBA, I can still have, like, you know, a a timeline or understanding what's happening in the background. I understand that there was a Kobe era, then there was a LeBron James era, and all these big storylines were happening. And I'm thinking about MLB, and I'm like, well, what can I say about MLB, right? And truthfully, it's sad that I was thinking to myself, well, I really can't think of anything. I think the most exciting time for MLB for me was when like all the Balco stuff was happening and the Mitchell report was coming out and this guy's using steroids and you know they're going and investigating this guy like I feel like that's the most exciting part of baseball and it's so wrong that the on-field product does nothing for most people now it's it's an absolute travesty that they obviously you know they're not gonna ever gain me as a fan or the average person that sits down and watches the NFL uh, NFL games he's not gonna go sit down and watch MLB games but you a fan that's invested a fan that's put money into their product, that's bought their jerseys, that's went to Cooperstown, that, you know, gets ready on game day with three different jerseys. The fact that they've lost you tells me that that, that league has a, has a serious, serious problem in the future, man. Jay, before we wrap on this, I swear to God, folks, we're going to get to football. Let me put this into perspective for you, okay? You have people that are sanctimonious and Ortiz is okay because he's nice media, but these guys aren't because they tested positive for steroids, even though Ortiz tested positive. One of uh, Ty Cobb, he was the original like hits leader before Pete Rose broke it. Um, you know, documented a hole to mm-hmm. everybody, 
anybody with a pulse, his own teammates, his manager, the ownership of the Detroit Tigers. Hold on, hold on. I'm sorry to cut you off here, but define, define that for a little bit because you said this a few times about Barry Bonds and some of these writers. Um, so, like, what would happen? Would they be verbally abusive? Would they not give him answers they like? What do you mean by... They would ask... They would keep, you know, peppering... You know how, like, Bill Belichick is with the media, but everyone mm-hmm. loves Belichick because it's Belichick being Belichick, but they would mm-hmm. ask, like, the same question over and over and over again. And you imagine, like, when we're in the heights of the steroid era... They kept asking him about steroids and did you t- did you ever take anything? This that and the other thing. Uh, there was documented run-ins with him and his teammate Jeff Kent out in San Francisco. So there was always like an issue with like Barry Bonds on or off the field. And you know he would be curt and he would be moody and he would be sullen answering reporters' questions and wouldn't give them like inside scoops on anything. Like he really wanted nothing to do with the media like to put in perspective like after we log off if you just want to like google albert bell media like albert bell had like wanted nothing to do with the press barry bonds is like a tick higher like he would talk to the press but he would give them nothing to work with like that's kind of what i'm what but, but, i mean by that but how is that how's that how's that an issue like how's that an issue for these writers because I mean, these writers can, gotta call can... him to fill jay they gotta call him to fill make something up like i i don't understand like I, when i've heard this like conversation like throughout you know hearing it from you hearing it from you know radio i legitimately thought like barry bonds got into somebody's face and started saying f you f you please no please, your family sucks like i felt like it was a ryan leaf like video remember when he like lost his yes yeah. his uh stuff on that reporter i felt like that's what happened but it seems like these writers are just in their feelings they didn't get the answers like it's, exactly that's like, it what? that's how, well, how? it's it's like what like i said it's like the parallel to that is terrell owens like we don't know what terrell owens was like with the press and the popcorn and that's my quarterback and maybe he didn't give he slighted some guy from the san francisco times or he didn't give anybody attention from the philadelphia Inquirer. you know it's it's little petty things like that that chap the asses of you know the the dan o'shaughnessy's of the world out there that are like okay you're not going to give me any attention or anything to work with with my column well you know, flip you the bird, F you, I'm not going to vote for you in the Hall of Fame, but I'll I'll look Big Poppy's way and I'll turn a blind eye to the steroids because he was nice and he was funny and he gave me some stories and we told jokes. That is literally the pettiness that we are working with with Major League Baseball. But to get back to my comparison, these guys can't get in because of steroids. Ty Cobb is a documented a-hole to anybody with a pulse in the Detroit Tigers, the press. He documented, you know, wife beater. He has, I think, I'm pretty sure this is still the case, the third highest voting percentage amongst baseball writers to get in the Hall of Fame. And we are now in the era of sports gambling, right, Jay? You go on MLB Network, almost every segment is sponsored by DraftKings or FanDuel, but Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Let that sink in. Yeah, that is what we're that is the brain capacity we are working with with Major League Baseball. I don't know, man. It just seems like it's it's a sport that has really lost its way. And, you know, we all thought, you know, even me as a non baseball fan thought that Rob Manford would come in and clean it up. But man, there's there's it's got worse. There's some serious lack of leadership in that room and in that like, you know, leadership group. And 
I don't know if it's just the nature of the game that's set in its way as America's pastime and they want to stay there. They don't want to revolutionize anything. Because I do feel like there, there's a certain charm to baseball. I mean, like, I, I will throw on a playoff game and I'll watch it, right? And when, especially when it gets to cold October baseball in, in a northeastern city, it's, it's beautiful, right? But mm-hmm. I just I feel like it's something that listen. This is what the NFL does the best. The NFL is always always looking to bring in owners that have certain expertise, right? They're getting in bed with Amazon, trying to figure out how to possibly get the game even bigger. I just feel like there's, there there isn't that um, level of I guess um, vigor in, in MLB in, in those in those uh, you know um, circles to expand the game and do what's best for the game. They just want to stick to the past. And usually when, when companies and organizations stick to the past, they generally don't, you know, do on the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yep. That's, that's the baseball. It. <laughs> so I can tell you really wanted to get that off your chest. Huh? You've been, were you stewing on that all day or what? I was stewing on that because the final vote, like the report came out of who was getting in. Uh, that came out around like six. So I've been sitting on that since six o'clock this at, you know, this evening, right before we hopped on the pod. And I'm like, all right, I'm in a good mood. Like work is good. It's like calm. Sky's not falling. Gonna, th- gonna hang out with my boy. We're gonna talk about the wild playoff weekend. And then like this buffoonery happens with me. <laughs> Well, Puma, divisional round has come yeah. and gone. Uh, it was a hell of a weekend. Got some really good games. And now the AFC and NFC Championship games are set. So let's start with the AFC Championship game. The Cincinnati Bengals are traveling to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Uh, the Bengals are coming off of a 19-16 win against the uh, Tennessee Titans in the divisional round where Joe Burrow had a hell of a day. Got sacked nine times. Um, the Tennessee Titans and Ryan Tannehill, they kind of had pissed running down their legs because Tannehill had three interceptions. And then the game of the weekend where everybody was talking about it, the Buffalo Bills and the Chiefs, they went blow for blow, you know, toe-to-toe. It went into overtime. Uh, obviously, the Chiefs prevailed. 42-36 was the final score. But now we've got the AFC Championship game set, Puma. And i got to be real with you, and i get your thoughts on this. I'm kind of leading Joe Burrow and the Bengals. I'm not going to lie. i got this feeling about this team, brother. I'm I'm going with the Bengals too, dude. So you're you're not losing the plot. I got the Bengals. If you look on DraftKings right now, the point spread is uh, Kansas City Lane seven points at home in Arrowhead. The over under is fifty four and a half. But dude, like we we talked about it last week, the, this team is just buying into all of the moxie that Joe Burrow mm-hmm. is is just spewing out. That dude just oozes confidence moxie you know call it cockiness whatever but like the fact of the matter is is everybody from the linemen to the defensive side of the football to the kicker i mean we all know the story Mm -hmm. of evan mcpherson you know when they came down to you know crunch time they kicked the field goal they're going the afc championship game he tells the backup quarterback who i believe was also the holder of the kick uh well i guess i'm going to kick us to the afc championship (laughs) game like that's that's how much moxie this team is working with, dude. And, like, I'm totally here for it. Th- this is a rematch of about maybe, what, three, four weeks ago where mm-hmm. the Bengals at home in uh, in Cincinnati just blew the doors off the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, I, I think I think it's right there. I think, it's, I think they can do it. I think they're going to punch their ticket to the Super Bowl. The only thing that concerns me, though, and, Jay, you hit on it, you know, in the rundown for this game is Joe Burrow got sacked nine times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's against the Tennessee Titans defense. That's actually pretty really good on the defensive line. Uh, Justin Simmons was just uh, really wreaking havoc back there. 
Um, you know, I I just fear that maybe like Chris Jones and Melvin Ingram might be getting home a few times, but Joe Burrow is as tough as nails, dude. So I'm not that worried about it. Um, I think this is going to be another, you know, potential heavyweight bout. And this is going to be Joe Burrow's another coming out party of, okay, like we're not the, we're not the Cincinnati Bengals of old anymore. This is, this is my team. This is a different watch. We're going to the Super Bowl. Let's go. I got Cincinnati covering the seven and winning outright. Yeah, Puma. And, you know, I'm leaning Cincinnati as well. And listen, we'll get to all the X's and O's here in a second of the game itself. But I, I wanted to start off with Joe Burrow, man. I think the kid is special. Like, I, if anybody's still on the fence, you know, let, let us sink in that the Cincinnati Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals are in the AFC Championship game. And the team is not even that great. Like, the offensive line has issues. You know, obviously, we understand that Jamar Chase in the receiving core is great. But the defense is, you know, average to above average. And the head coach is, is average. And there's some spots where he's been below average. I mean, he's taken all of that to the AFC Championship game. Like, I don't think people, like, understand what's happening here with, with Joe Burrow. And, and you know, we've talked about this a few times now. But he's just the ultimate, like, culture changer. I mean, that's basically what people dubbed him, you know, whether it went through Ohio State or LSU. Um, you know, the, you know, we all know what he did at LSU. We all know what he's doing at Cincinnati. Uh, we all know what he's doing at Cincinnati with the Bengals. But even reports out of Ohio State, when he was there duking it out with, you know, JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins, he would always outwork those guys. You know, basically, he he was basically a mental line in that quarterback room where he would, he would basically run circles mentally around JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins. And it was unfortunately that Aaron Meyer, who's always going to make mistakes and be Aaron Meyer, he went with the the you know proven commodity of JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins, but the bigger point being the guy the guy just you know he oozes confidence, and, and you're seeing that being trickled down to the rest of the team. And, we, and I and I have this really big theory on quarterbacks and who they are with their confidence and leadership. I feel like the team always gravitates and takes on the mold and identity of a quarterback, and you're seeing that happen in Cincinnati now. He he's just he's just he's walking that fine line between cocky. And confidence, right? He walks it very well because, you know, a lot of times guys can be cocky and they become dislikable, kind of like what Aaron Rodgers is. But he still mm-hmm. has a playfulness about him with Joe Burrow where he's likable. And it, he does that really good job of walking that line. So, listen, I'm, I'm on board. I think he's a guy that's going to instill confidence in his team going into Arrowhead. He's never backed down from a big game, whether it's high school, college, now in the NFL. I saw this ridiculous stat where he's like 6-0 and in must-win games. I think maybe you saw it as well. Um, but, you know, they took into account his high school days, you know, his playoff games in college, you know, his playoff games in the NFL so far, his game in week was a 15 against the Bengals, where base, against the Chiefs, where it basically was a playoff game. So... You know, all that aside, I think the X is a nose part of it. I mean, let's talk about that real quick, right? And I think the key for this game is Zach Taylor, that defense has, has to go into Arrowhead with the mindset that they're going to take away at least one of Patrick Mahomes' two favorite options. You've got to somehow take away either Hill or Kelsey. You can't give Patrick Mahomes both because if you do, then you're going to lose that game. Simple as that. And that's one of the issues that you saw with the Buffalo Bills down the stretch. They didn't take anybody out the game, you know, with the 13 seconds up. They didn't take either Hill or Kelsey away. So going in, you've definitely got to have that mindset. You're going to take one of those guys away. I would lean towards taking uh, uh, Tyreek Hill away, and I would give Kelsey 10, 15 yards at a clip. I would I would rather have him go down the down the field 10 yards at a time instead of giving up Hill's uh deep bomb 
Furthermore, mm-hmm. on the Cincinnati side, you've got to protect Joe Burrow. I mean, the guy got beat up. He got nine sacks last week. I mean, he was one sack away from having the record of the most sacks in a playoff game. But you've got to protect Joe Burrow. If you do, he will find his receivers. Jamar Chase will get loose. And let's be real here for a second. I know the Chiefs had a middle part of the season where they played good defense. But ever since that first Cincinnati game, that defense can be had. And obviously the Steelers didn't do much just because in the playoffs the Steelers didn't have any offense to attack them with. But we saw what Buffalo did. We saw what Josh Allen did. We know what Joe Burr did, you know, a few weeks back. So that Cincinnati defense can be had. And I want to turn this over to you, Puma. Like, you know, obviously you're picking the Bengals as well. But, you know, is it one of those things where you think the Bengals are going to be um, – you know, like, I believe, obviously, Joe Burrow is going to provide them with that confidence going to go right ahead and, and beat um, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Do you think the Bengals are going to be, you know, a wild-eyed and bright-eyed in that situation? Would they, or are they going to collapse under pressure a little bit? What's your thoughts on that? No, I think, uh, I think Joe Burrow is going to rally the troops because if the ultimate letdown spot would have been on the road against Tennessee because it, they finally got that monkey off their back, they finally won a playoff game in, like, 20-something years – and uh, they won it at home. They, you know, they have all that hype going into Tennessee. And then it's like, okay, we're going against, like, King Henry. Derrick Henry's back, and he's going <laughs> to run all over everybody. Like, if if there was ever a letdown spot, like, that would have been it, especially with, you know, uh, Burrow getting ragdolled. I just want to clean something up a bit. It was Jeffrey Simmons for the Tennessee mm-hmm. Titans, not Justin Simmons. I don't know why I was putting the dude from the Broncos on Tennessee. Jeffrey <laughs> Simmons or, Nobody's blown up my mentions here. Exactly. Smart because we still remember that Oakland Raiders comment, right? Yeah, my, my dumb ass. I, I had a Stephen A. Smith moment. I own it. But, um, yeah, no, Jeff uh, Jeffrey Simmons. But I got a Simmons. Like I was in the neighborhood. Uh, but, no, I, I just think if, like I said, if they were going to lay an egg, it, it would have been the Titans game, mm-hmm. even with how bad Tannehill played. And, I, you know, just spitballing here, I feel like we're going to be talking about worst quarterback performances in the playoffs this year so far. Tannehill is right up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, you know, it, I think Joe's going to rally the troops. And, and, Jay, like, I think, you know, you mentioned it uh, earlier that Joe doesn't back down from the big fight. And, you know, I'm I'm not from Ohio. I don't know the area. But you do, clearly. And Athens, Ohio, is, mm-hmm. is like a, a blue-collar on steroids type of town. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Joe Burrow has probably never backed down from anything in his life, even outside of the football field. So I'm not worried about this dude. This dude's a pit bull. He's a pit bull. He ain't worried about nothing. I'm, I'm riding that Joe Burrow train all the way to, to SoFi Stadium for the Super Bowl. Yeah, your spot on right Athens, Ohio is about an hour south of Columbus, Ohio, where I'm at out here. Um, there's two things in Athens. They've got blue collar workers like you, Puma, basically people that don't take shit from nobody. Um, they're obviously in Ohio, a very, you know, Midwest, uh, you know, state. So they stand up for what, what's theirs and they take shit from nobody. There's Ohio university down there. So a little bit of a party town as well. And the third thing, there's a lot of crackheads and meth heads down there as well. So the fact that Joe Burrow was able to steer away from all of that, uh, you've got to give him props for his, uh, for his valor in that. <laughs> yeah, no, this kid. This kid ain't backing down from anything in his life. Let's go. Bengals yeah. covering. Yes, sir. Um, that would be great if the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. I mean, like, just that storyline, Puma. Like, let that sink in. Like, I, I know I keep saying it, but the Cincinnati Bengals are in the AFC Championship game. Like, right it's in that, not, Jay. 
the coming off the knee injury. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, so he's basically wrapped up comeback player of the year as well, right? He has to. You gotta. You 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 would have to. You mm-hmm. would have to give like there's if 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 Joe Burrow does not come away with comeback player of the year, considering everything that he's done for that team. You know, I know Dak. Listen, I'm not taking away anything from Dak Prescott. His injury was horrible. I understand that, but you cannot tell me that Joe Burrow should not be taking the award. Like anyone that says anyone that says, "Oh, it's it's anyone but Joe Burrow," just stop watching football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I tell you what, and we'll, we'll hit on this a little bit later on, and you know, we'll talk about the best uh, performers in in the playoffs so far. But just looking forward in the AFC, dude. The young quarterback talent like Mahomes, Ooh-wee. Allen, uh, Justin Herbert, uh, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow. Um, there's just so much. Trevor Lawrence, I mean, obviously he's still young and raw, but dude, when he puts it together and he has a good coaching staff around him, he's going to be a player uh, to mess with. So there, there's a lot, a lot of good talent. I mean, I'm not even getting to people like Derek Carr, who's a very serviceable quarterback that was in the MVP race in the AFC this year. So there, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the in the AFC Puma. And let's not forget about the best out of all of them, the, the combination of Peyton Manning and Tom oh, Brady, Leon Carnett, uh, one McCrap McCorkle Jones up in New England. I mean, that guy, <laughs> that guy, I mean, oh, God. Oh, wait, he, he's like Joe Burrow out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to save that bit. For for after the game preview because I got something to take I got something to say about the Mac Jones Joe Burrow cops yes yes Puma yes let's bash so. McCorkle Jones yes I'm but before we that. get to that Jay let, let's talk about your other favorite quarterback it's Jimmy Garoppolo oh God Jimmy on Garoppolo. the road Mm-mm-mm. NFC Championship game Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers are heading up to SoFi Stadium so the fine. site of the Super Bowl. Which, by the way, the Rams, uh, you know, ticket sales team is trying to restrict the tickets that go to, you know, 49er fans. You got the 49ers traveling up to L.A., a.k.a. Inglewood, and uh, going against the Rams. The Rams are laying three and a half. Jay, I'm going to turn it over to you first because of how much you love Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, I love Jimmy Garoppolo. Who are you rolling with in this game? Listen, I, as much as I love Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm going to take the Rams in this game. And I don't think it's going to be close. I think the Rams are going to wipe the floor with the 49ers. And I know I know, people are saying, you know, Kyle Shanahan has won five, six straight or whatever the record is, whatever the number is now against the Rams. But I truly don't understand how San Francisco is here. Like, Jimmy G might be the worst quarterback to ever make the NFC Championship game. And I'm not talking about, like, his, you know, his whole, his whole career. But I'm talking about his last two games in the playoffs. Against the uh, the Cowboys and this past week against the, the Packers, that might be the worst two performances of a, by a quarterback that's ended up in the NFC Championship game. Like some of these numbers are abysmal. We're talking about zero touchdowns in two games and two interceptions. And, and uh, truthfully, no lie, if the Green Bay Packers cornerbacks, yeah, if the Green Bay Packers cornerbacks turned their head around in the flat, they could have had like three pick sixes. All right, so like I, I, I mean, it could be much worse. Sixty-two overall quarterback rating. I, I don't know what's happening, and, you know, obviously you got to give props to the 49ers to get to the NFC Championship game. But if I'm Kyle Shanahan going to this game, I, I'm keeping a keen eye on how well Jimmy G is performing because you're in the NFC Championship game. There's a good chance you're indoors. There's no weather to account for. Good chance the Rams are going to put up at least 24 to 31 points on you. 
you're going to have to put up some points. And can Jimmy G put up 31, 27 points? I doubt it. I mean, with how bad he's looked in the playoffs so far. So if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I'm doing my best this week to have some sort of Trey Lance package. Like, at this point, I don't know what else you got to lose. Like, if Jimmy G is looking bad during the NFC Championship game and the game looks like it's tearing away, why not throw some young, fresh blood in there with a Trey Lance package? Hell, just turn the game over to Trey Lance. I mean, if, if it really is as bad as it was against the Packers, then I would really consider maybe throwing Trey Lance in there and seeing if he can spark something. But listen, I've been beating the drum hardcore for the Rams the last couple of weeks just because I've seen some of the moves they made and some of the pieces are starting to fit really well now. A guy that's starting to become huge and Tom Brady had a massive issue with this past weekend was Von Miller. Mm-hmm. And I, I said this about three weeks ago. I saw that he was you coming. on the head. I, it was coming. I saw that anytime they would let him on the field, he would make a massive play. They would take him off the field because obviously he didn't have the full scheme down yet. You know, he, they're probably trying to save him for the playoffs. But you saw him come alive against uh, against Tom Brady and don't start pushing that pocket and then Von Miller started coming around. It's going to be a long, hard day for Jimmy G. Truthfully, I'd be surprised if he made it to the second quarter. I mean, with how much of a softy he is, the fact that any you know quarterback, any defensive player hitting him and causing a hang, having, having a nail broken could probably lead him to being benched on the sideline because he, he wouldn't come back. Anymore. But regardless, that, that Rams team is forming into, uh, rounding into form. And the one key player on offense is Cam Akers. I, I don't know how this guy's gone back so quickly. He had an Achilles tear back in, uh, I believe, August. He's back now playing. And what he's done for that Rams offense is he's given McVay the flexibility to run his full offense. Because a lot of people believe that Sean McVay is an offensive genius, which he is. But at the core of his offensive philosophy is a wrong, is a strong, explosive run game. And Cam Akers provides that. Once that gets rolling, it makes life so much easier for Stafford. You know, play action off of that boot. Throw it downfield to Cooper Cup, OBJ, whoever it is. But yes, give me the Rams. They're rounding into form. I, I got them big trophy this weekend. Okay. I mean, I'm with you. I got the Rams winning this. I'm I'm not going to go, like, blowout alert. I think it is going to be within the number. I do see San Francisco keeping it within a field goal, only because, like, the defense for the 49ers is good. You look at the history of Kyle Shanahan, who I am not a fan of. The only thing that gives me pause, Jay, and, you know, I know you were watching the Buccaneers game, is when it was, like, 27-3, to you know, as if I haven't learned my lesson <laughs> from 28-3, to I was like, all right, the you know the Rams got this. It's basically done. Everyone looked defeated on that sideline. And truthfully, you know, we might get to this later, but truthfully, I I thought everyone was just done with Bruce Arians at that point on mm-hmm. the sideline. I, just nothing seemed to be working. Uh, but then they start clawing their way back, and you start seeing it happen. And they go three and out, and they only burn nine seconds off the clock. They being the Rams, and then you have that brutal fumble on the goal line with Cam Akers, and then you have uncharacteristically a fumble by uh, Cooper Cup, but he redeemed himself with that 45-yard bomb after, you know, uh, Todd Bowles essentially called engage eight on on that (laughs) second-to-last play of the game. But, I mean, all all things aside, like, you could kind of see, like, Sean McVay tighten up, and it's kind of like that feeling that Kyle Shanahan does when he sees Jimmy Garoppolo about to go full-blown Chernobyl. And, like, Garoppolo goes full-blown Chernobyl, which then causes Shanahan to go, like, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and you just got a global meltdown going on in the San Francisco field. But that's why I think it's going to be close. I think somebody's going to turtle up. Nobody's really going to keep the foot on the throat of somebody. 
and we really didn't get to this, I think a big problem on the offensive line for the 49ers is going to be Trent Williams. Mm-hmm. Trent Williams mm-hmm. really dinged up his ankle against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I mean, I was amazed he was able to move at points of the game uh, after halftime. I mean, he's basically like, you know, a, almost a game-time decision at this point. Like, they're taking a wait-and-see approach. Uh, Debo Samuel got dinged up a bit. He took a helmet to the knee, but I think he's going to go. That guy's a baller. But the Trent Williams absence could be a big problem for a quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo that all he does is win. Oh, my God. But he also, you know, has meltdowns of epic proportions and gets happy feet when there's pressure, you know, coming at him. So I'm going to go with the Rams, but I got the 49ers keeping it close within the three and a half. The over-under is 46. I feel like that's that's about right. Um, so I'm probably going to stay away from the over-under, but I will take the 49ers to cover three and a half. I got the Rams winning outright, though. Well, Puma, I think the problem is, like, you know, I just can't see a path to victory for the 49ers that isn't, you know, that isn't a low-scoring game, right? Basically, if the Rams are, you know, crapping all over themselves, which I obviously they could, um, you know, if they aren't, you know, if the 49ers aren't forcing turnovers and the score isn't like, you know, seven to seven to seven, 10 to seven, you know, in the third quarter, then I don't see them win the game. Like that's the only way the 49ers can win the game is if they muck it up and if they somehow keep the scoring low. However, now you're indoors. You're you're indoors in SoFi, in, in the Rams home stadium. They're gonna be juiced. Like I feel like this thing is gonna get to like, you know, let's say twenty one to seven in the third quarter and Jimmy's gonna have to throw the ball to get them back into it and it's just gonna unravel on them. I mean that's that's my biggest issue is the Rams the 49ers can win just one way which is basically low scoring and good defense, while the Rams can win in a multitude of ways, whether it's high scoring, high flying, or even a low scoring game, and they're playing sound defense. So that's my issue. I just I just can't see the 49ers have multiple ways to victory. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, though. All Jimmy G does is win. Yeah, oh my God, that guy. Jesus. When he's, when he's, when he's on the field, right? <laughs> Dude, like, do you see some of these between. numbers? Zero touchdowns, two interceptions in the two playoff games? Like, And Jay, Jay, he was dying, mm. dying to throw another two picks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, dying. Mm-hmm. If the Packers cornerbacks and the flats turned around, yeah, they, they would have gotten two more picks. Like, I don't understand how. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand how the Packers lost that game. I really don't. Like, I'm sitting there watching Aaron Rodgers not win that game, and I'm thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. This, this, like, it might be a, a, a legacy stain on, on uh, Rodgers' legacy with, with how badly that game looked against the 49ers. For sure. I'm going to hold my Rodgers thoughts for a minute. I'm going to hold, unless, unless you want to segue to like the next storylines coming out, coming out of Sunday, which yeah. actually kind of took place in kickoff, like, you know, with Tom Brady, then the Aaron Rodgers stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to wait into that pool, I'll give you my Rodgers take all day, but. Well, let's do it. Let's do a Rodgers take right now. I mean, listen, I just, I just mentioned it. Rodgers had a pretty abysmal day. I mean, he got bounced from the playoffs once again without making the Super Bowl. Uh, we all know the record in the playoffs. It's not great. He's 1-4 in championship games. He he lost a game against the 49ers this past weekend that was indefensible, in my opinion. And I think the key to what I saw on Saturday night from Aaron Rodgers was he looked really really bugged and annoyed to even be out there. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Like, he looked like he didn't want to be out there. And I think that translated over to his play. Like, the stats alone, his numbers weren't great. He didn't score a touchdown, I believe. 
And on top of that, like he just wasn't seeing the field as clearly as a veteran quarterback of his caliber should. Case in point, uh, if you run a third and was it 11 with like four minutes left in the fourth quarter, he takes a deep bomb on third and 11 to, I believe, Devontae Adams was double covered. However, if you look at that play again, you'll see Alan Lazard running a, mm-hmm. a, uh, a drag route across the middle of the field, wide open with nobody there. In that game, he he seems to get locked onto Devontae Adams and then dumping out of Aaron Rodgers. And somebody was making this point on ESPN, breaking down the film, that most of the Packers' offense this year has been that, where he and Devontae Adams have such a great wavelength that he would get open no matter what. And even if Adams wasn't open, Aaron Rodgers would just throw it up and be like, all right, let's hope he's down there somewhere. And if that wasn't the case, you're dumping out of Aaron Rodgers, and that was basically the whole offense. And you saw that manifest itself. You saw they made it, the 49ers made a concerted effort to take away Devontae Adams and said, go to somebody else, and he couldn't find somebody else. That's, that's the most alarming part about this is I feel like he... Not regressed because when you're at that level of, of quarterback play, MVP or whatever it is, like you don't regress. You just have bad days. And, and I was just I was just concerned seeing that. But after the game, it started all over again. The storyline that Aaron Rodgers is not going to be there next year. He's going to take some time off and consider his options. And he doesn't want to come back if it's a rebuild. So there's a lot up in the air right now with Aaron Rodgers. And I'm going to turn the floor over to you real quick to get your thoughts. But, you know, do you see Aaron Rodgers coming back next year to Green Bay? If not... You know, what do you think is going to be the deciding factor that pushes him out the door? Is it going to be, you know, him not having enough say? Does he want a bigger contract? Is the rebuild part of it? And then let's take that step forward and, you know, try to guess maybe where he lands next year. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I don't think he's coming back. And uh, I forget who the personality was, but he, he hit the nail on the head. He's like, you know, with all, you know, they need to they need to break up with, you know, divorce themselves of, of Aaron Rodgers. The Packers need to go in one way, and Rodgers can either go host Jeopardy, retire, or, or go to a different team and be someone else's, you know, prima donna. But I mean, you know, Jay, it, it's just it's just amazing. Like you look at you know the the bridge from Rodgers to Favre. Like we can all agree, you know, for all the peccadillos, like Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. But all that time, like you have like twenty plus years uh, of Rodgers and Favre combined, and all you have to say for that is two Super Bowl championships. Mm-hmm. Like I get it, Mike McCarthy crapped his you know crapped his pants you know in one NFC Championship game, but I mean you got run off the field by the 49ers. I think the 49ers are still running on you guys two years later. Like it's just it, you know it's just uh, it, all this you know kerfuffle and all this issue with the offseason and Brian Gutekunst is an a-hole and you know I can't get an audible from my new head coach at the time Matt LaFleur like there's just so much drama for a guy that wilts in the playoffs you know it's one thing if it's like a Tom Brady type of deal because like the dude is has a pedigree right the dude's won you know a bazillion Super Bowls at league MVP all this stuff and you know Aaron Rodgers yeah he's a league MVP I think he's like a two-time MVP if I recall correctly probably going to be a third factoring in this year even though I'm in the camp Brady should be MVP but you have that but you only have one championship to go for it and all this drama and it's you know I don't want to be part of a rebuild okay well then don't be part of a rebuild you guys already had a verbal agreement that you, you know, come the end of the season, we will look into a trade partner for you. And for all parties involved, it's probably the best thing to happen to everyone. And I understand that Jordan Love did not look great, 
you know, in his one start against the Kansas City Chiefs and at times in preseason and whatnot. But you also have to look back at the tape, uh, you know, go back to the annals of time. Aaron Rodgers wasn't hot shit either mm-hmm. when he first came into the league. So, like, mm-hmm. let's let's pop the brakes a little bit. I think, Matt, you know, Matt LaFleur can find find his way with Jordan Love. And, you know, come, you know, full disclosure, I'm biased. I'm high on Jordan Love. I think the potential is there. The guy's got a cannon for an arm. He might be able to actually run the system that Matt LaFleur actually wants to do, you know, and not just force feed the ball to Devontae Adams or take the check down to Aaron Jones. Uh, because I actually like Alan Lazar. I think Equimedia St. Brown can probably be something as well, too. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has potential Bob Tanyan when he comes back from his knee injury. This is going to be a decent offense. I think Jordan Love can bring out some of the stuff that, you know, LaFleur wants to do without the additional baggage. Now, that's probably going to set, you know, Green Bay YouTube and Twitter aflame. But, like, seriously, like, take a step back, take a breath, look at what Aaron Rodgers did before he became, you know, the bad man that Stephen A. Smith had him listed as up until three days ago. And you'll see that Aaron Rodgers had the same issues as well. So for all things involved, I think it's best for a divorce. And to answer your question, I think if he's going anywhere, the Denver Broncos are going to be the suitor. Mm. Did you hear what Rex Ryan said? He'll be the third best quarterback in, <laughs> in, in the AFC, in the AFC West. Now, I gotta, I gotta say this, Jay, and I'm going to full disclosure. I didn't come up with this. You know, you know, one of my favorite Twitter follows on, uh, on, on Twitter, Benjamin Albright said, well, that's not the first time Rex Ryan put a foot in his mouth. <laughs> but let's be real, though. He's not better than Patrick Mahomes, is he? Nope. Obviously, Justin Herbert doesn't have the accolades, but the physical tools, I think they're better than Aaron Rodgers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I I, I would I want to say I don't think it's a bridge best. too far either. I, I just wanted gonna... to use that joke. <laughs> I mean, uh, Mahomes, we know who he is, and I have a man crush on Justin Herbert, so excuse my, you know, bias, but at least the second best, player, you know, quarterback in the in the AFC West. So, mm-hmm. listen, I mean, there, there's a lot that's going to come out of this, and I just, Puma, like, I, I don't know what to say anymore about Aaron Rodgers because he seems like he's the ultimate, you know, regular Steven stat stuffer, but the moment it gets tense, the moment the pressure gets on him, he wilts, and if you look at his career playoff um, career playoff numbers compared to his regular season numbers, they're drastically lower. Like he starts to throw interceptions, which he never does in the play, in the regular season. He, his completion percentage goes down, and I think when he gets to the playoffs, man, when games <coughs> get tight, when you know offenses are are having issues moving the ball in the cold, you've got to provide that leadership. And I'm so big on. You know, sideline body language and leadership and getting the guys, you know, fired up and rah-rah and this and that stuff. And I just feel to his core, to his core, Aaron Rodgers is a bad leader. I think he's a selfish dude. And I think you're you're starting to see that play out, manifest that in the locker room, you know. A lot of times when we don't know the inner workings of the locker room or a quarterback or a player, we just define it very simply as, oh, this guy's a winner and this guy's a loser. 
And we say that about Aaron Rodgers, who's a you know basically a loser in the playoffs because we don't we don't we can't justify the rest of it. We don't have the inner workings of it. But you know, I think if we really were to look at it to its <coughs> core, I think his personal makeup and who he is, and the fact that he can't build relationships, he can't build relationships, and he can't lead. I think that's one of the main reasons why he is in a situation where he is now. And listen. I always have this theory that you can leave your job, you can leave your city, you can go to a new relationship, but you're still you. At the core of you, you're still you as a person, and these same problems will arise in Denver. Let's say he does go to Denver. Let's say he, you think he's going to go in there and the Denver Broncos are going to win the AFC West next year? No, absolutely not. The Chiefs are going to absolutely obviously... Not. Yeah, the Chiefs are going to win the AFC West. Then what? Is he going to start complaining about... The play calling is going to start complaining about the receivers, the weapons. I feel like he is who he is no matter where he goes, whether it's in Green Bay or in Denver. And if I had to guess, just throw a venture out there, I think it makes complete sense to go to, uh, to go to Pittsburgh. If he can somehow, you know, team up with such a great, you know, Hall of Fame worthy coach with a decent defense, a good offensive weapons and, you know, Claypool and Juju and Deontay Johnson, who I like, even though he has some drop issues. I'm sure Devontae Adams is going to try to make his way out there with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, think about that trio of receivers, right? So, I think if he somehow ends up with the Steelers, that could be a fairly scary scary team to watch out for. Yeah, and, you know, considering all the stuff that Mike Tomlin has experienced with, with, uh, you know, dealing with prima donnas, I hereby declare that from here on out, Mike Tomlin is the patron saint Mike Tomlin, the patron saint of prima donnas. <laughs> so if anyone's going to manage that personality in that locker room, it's going to be Mike Tomlin. And I can, I can definitely see that. Um, I just said, you know, be personally, I, I just got Denver ahead a smidge in the clubhouse, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't be surprised if Pittsburgh made a move uh, just because, I mean, what's your other option? Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, about that. Unless they're going to draft Kenny Pickett, which I know I've said that a lot, you know, but considering he is, you know, he is a Pittsburgh kid. He went to, you know, University of Pittsburgh. I kind of like him as like the quarterback in that class. Uh, But, you know, Jay, you've said it several times and you're not wrong. It's not the strongest quarterback class there is so you know you're not drafting yourself a Josh Allen there out of Pittsburgh but yeah if you don't go draft wise with a quarterback yeah why not take a shot at Aaron Rodgers yeah yeah I think I think uh, Kenny Pickett could be a uh, a very interesting name for the for the Steelers and and obviously as the the weeks go on we'll have more draft coverage but let's move on to another quarterback that is going to make some headlines this offseason Tom Brady and the Tempe Buccaneers are coming off of a divisional loss to the Rams. Final score was 27-30. to 30, uh, Rams winning that game. And, you know, for a while there, the, the score got out of hand. It was 27-3. The Buccaneers rallied back to tie up 27-27. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's happening all over again, right? The Buccaneers are going to win this game and go to the NFC Championship game. But, unfortunately, they didn't. Now, after the game. Let's just back up. Before the game, reports that came out through, you know, Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter that kind of indicated that Tom Brady is considering retirement. This could be his last game as a Tempe Buccaneer or as an NFL player in general. After the game, Tom Brady had his press conference and he had comments about this isn't time for me to talk about that. You know, I'll reevaluate all everything in the offseason. And then he had more comments last night on his podcast that alluded to the fact that, you know, he wants to spend more time with his family. You know, it takes a lot out of his personal life to be a football player six months out of the out of the year where it's wall-to-wall sports and he doesn't even get to see his family as much so 
you know, the reason why we're talking about this is, you know, I always thought that Tom Brady would have to be dragged off a football field. He'd be one of those guys that, you know, at 45, 46, if he's still out there, he'll play. And eventually he'll have injuries that will lead to a messy, like, you know, image of us, you know, of Tom Brady uh, being dragged off the football field to retirement. However, this is the first time in my mind that Tom Brady has even opened the idea of retirement up. He's bringing it up. He's talking about it. In the past, when we talk about, you know, retirement, he'd be like, no, 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 I'm playing to 45. Let's not even continue that conversation. But now, and I think this is where it might be a little real and maybe it's starting to dawn on me as, as a Brady fan that, hey, this might be his last game. And I truly don't want to think about it because I need more information as the weeks come along. But I am concerned at the fact that he's talking this much about retirement, you feel me? Because, like, for so long, it was something he wouldn't even entertain because he was trying to get to 45. For sure. And, you know, Jay, we were talking about the soft line. If you look through, like, the, you know, annals of the season, right? Like, there were there were discussions between, like, the media and, and Tom Brady about, like, oh, you're going to come back next year. This was, like, even before training camp started. And... He was, like, adamant, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. He was adamant, I'm playing out the two years. We'll mm-hmm. discuss, like, a contract extension. I think I can play longer than, you know, X amount of years, whatever. Yes, sir. And then, you know, Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter and, and Josh uh, Jeff Darlington, rather, of, uh, of ESPN as well, too, they started floating out the idea about, like, maybe four hours before kickoff that – Tom Brady might actually consider walking away. Now, Jay, call this tinfoil hat theory. I don't think this is an accident. Um, I I, kind of get the vibe that maybe he is done with the Bruce Arian sideshow, let's call it. Like, you know, we all have our opinions on Antonio Brown. I, I have my own opinion on Antonio Brown. But if you look at what Bruce Arians has done... Beyond AB, and that's a, that's a podcast for another day. We could go on for days about Antonio Brown. But you look at like how he treated the Tristan Wirfs injury and had him go back out there, and he goes out and he makes it worse, and he misses this game, and you know Tom Brady was under siege the whole time, and then like the last week, uh, he you know a uh, Bruce Arians smacks a player, gets fined twenty five thousand dollars. It's it seems suspect, and I don't think it's an accident that 